Hello, I'm Wayne. This is my new Learning Languages podcast. This week, I'm looking at Portuguese. This language is spoken in Portugal, Brazil and other countries. Brazil is famous for carnivals, silky football and Cristiano Matos. If you ever visit Brazil or Portugal, then here are some basic phrases that may come in handy. Hello, I'm Wayne. Olá, o meu nome é Wayne. I come from Birmingham. Eu vivo em Birmingham. Do you like Iron Maiden? Tu gostas de Iron Maiden? Can you give me directions to the nearest farm food supermarket, please? Pode-me dar a direção do supermercado farm food mais próximo? Why is the ice cream man in the kitchen? Porque é que o homem dos lados está na cozinha? Oh, frisson ou sonho? Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast. This week, I'm looking at the song Run to the Hills. And this is track six on the Number of the Beast album. It was also the first single that was released before this album. And it was their first top ten hit. That's enough spoilers. I'll be talking more about this later. Last week, I looked at the title track of the album, which was called The Number of the Beast. And I had some feedback on the show. I've had a, a message from Jonah who says that I mentioned the actor Brian Blessed in the last show. And I confirm that I did. He he then goes on to say that I pronounced his name wrong. And he says, and I quote, You've pronounced Brian Blessed's name wrong. It's pronounced blessed. Well, that's what I said. Uh, and I'm not sure where the problem is here. Um, anyway, uh, that that's one comment I had. Now, now, more interestingly, I had someone called Pamela Cartwright send a message in. Now, now this is a girl. Or a woman. And she says that she gave Trevor her number many years ago after a night out in Birmingham. And she never heard back from him. And she hopes that she wasn't the beast that he mentioned in his poem last week. This is very interesting. I might ask him about this later. It might, uh, might make him a bit uncomfortable. Uh, but m- maybe I'll see how he behaves first. And... Uh, yeah, I might, I might bring it up. And, and that, that actually might teach him a lesson for mentioning me spilling pop on Michael Patterson's Amstrad. He's done that a few times. So uh, that's good information to have. So, so yeah, I'll leave that with me, Pamela. This week, as I said, I'm looking at Run to the Hills. And uh, this was the first single off the album and it was released in February 1982. So much has happened by Maiden in the year leading up to this song. Their last single was Purgatory, you may remember. And this was released in June 1981. So, less than a year before. Paul Diano's last show with the band was in September 1981. So if you think that between then and this single release, that's less than six months. And it shows how hard-working the band are in the fact that they could just change a line-up, get a song ready and release it in just yeah five months. That's shorter than the amount of time my podcast's been out. There's also a big change 
between the chart positions of the two singles. Purgatory was their worst chart position of the 1980s. It didn't even get in the top 50. I'm talking about the UK chart here. As I said earlier, Run to the Hills got into the top 10. And that was totally new territory for the band. Previously, Sanctuary was their best performing single and that just scraped in the top 30. When it was released, the number one in the charts was a town called Malice by The Jam. That's quite a good song. The first week in the chart, Run to the Hills entered at number 33, which was alright, but not as good as their, their peak with Sanctuary. But then the next week, it jumped to number 19. Top 20? Oh, imagine the band's face when they heard this news. I reckon Dave Morey had an extra smile on his face. If that wasn't enough, it then jumped to number 11 the week after that. And they showed the video on top of the pops. I'll talk about the video later. Then, February turned into March. And it, it got into the top 10. Number 7. Iron Maiden in the top 10. I was too young to know about this at the time. But imagine the fans and the band's reaction to this. They've made it. They, they would have sang. Looking at the top 10 for that week in March. I noticed at number 6. One place above Iron Maiden was Depeche Mode, with a song called See You. I wonder if they were feeling quite smug, being one place above Iron Maiden, after Steve Harris refused to let them cover Wrathchild, which we learned about in the Killers album review show. I'm not going to go through the whole position history as it, as it went up and down the charts. But if you plot a graph with chart position on the y-axis and time on the x-axis, if you've got the chart position of 1 at the top and, and you sort of draw that curve, it's, it's like a hill, which is quite ironic. It spent 10 weeks in the UK chart, which is very good. It wouldn't be until 1988 with Can I Play With Madness that they'd get in the top 10 again. And strangely, the charts and how singles entered the chart was quite different in this brief time. In 1982, singles would enter the chart low and climb up steadily, whereas by the time Can I Play With Madness came out, singles would enter the chart high and then drop down within a couple of weeks. And this was because, in the early 80s, it would take time for a single to be promoted, to catch on and be given radio airplay and then it would have to grow and rise up the chart. But later on, the single would be played weeks before it came out, so people got to know it, bought it that first week, all the fans, and then that was it. As I said, I didn't listen to the chart then. I wouldn't have heard it, it rise up. I didn't know about Iron Maiden in February 1982. I was, wasn't even five years old at this time, and I didn't know who Iron Maiden were. We did listen to the top 40 on the radio, um, and this was on a Sunday evening. It was Radio 1. Uh, it was also Bath Night. I don't know who presented it in 1982. Um, maybe they were quite surprised that Iron Maiden were there. When I listened, it was someone called Bruno Brooks who did the top 40. He had a mullet, but people listened to him. I think the appearance on Top of the Pops helped, but it was only the video rather than a live performance, like they'd done previously with Running Free. They also performed Women in Uniform in the Top of the Pops studio. But because of a strike with the union, it was never aired. 
It's a very strong choice for a single. It's a short song, it's got a catchy chorus, and it's sort of quite instant. Just from the opening drum beat, you can, you can hear it's going to be a classic. And even though the opening drum beat is quite simple, it's quite distinctive, and you know straight away what song it is. Essentially, it's just kick, 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 open hat, tom. But the open hat and the tom take place in one beat. So it's like kick, 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 open hat, tom. A bit like that. In fact, I'll just play it. There's also a busy bit of hi-hat in the background, which I wouldn't be able to do while saying the word kick. I was never good at beatboxing, but maybe I'll practice and try it out, maybe in the album review special. The guitars are open, with like a whooping sound, and again, very distinctive. It's not a sort of classic rock riff, but it's just, again, simple, and gives you a taste of the vocal melody to come. The first line in the song, White man came across the sea. He brought us pain and misery. I can imagine what you might be thinking. <sighs> Another song about Vikings? Or well, no, because the next line says, He killed our tribes, he killed our creed, he took our game for his own need. So tribes, again, that, that, that could relate to Vikings, but it's more about native Indians, creed, tribes and game. When they say, he took our game, they mean things like deer. They don't mean like Monopoly, because they probably didn't have board games in those times. They've already mentioned the word creed, but later on, they talk about Cree, which is the same word, without a D, and with a capital C. This actually is a group of natives, so we're actually talking about the Old West. And as a boy, I knew this as cowboys and Indians. I didn't know about the word Cree as a boy. But the video itself made it clear that it wasn't about Vikings and it was about native Indians. The video footage looks like it's from black and white westerns, but there's a slightly comic edge to them, even though there are bows and arrows and guns. It's a bit slapstick, like Laurel and Hardy. And I mean the films of Laurel and Hardy, not the cartoon. Although, I often wonder what happens to the cartoon version. I think it was a Hanna-Barbera production. Anyway, in the video... I don't know what film it's from, but I know it's not real footage because video cameras weren't invented then. Interestingly, the song is split into two different viewpoints in the verses and they come from the perspective of both sides, one from the native Indians and then one from the white man who came to conquer. This is quite unusual and it was the chance to take a strong political stance or make a statement, but luckily it's quite neutral and they look at both sides and allow you, the listener, to make a decision, if you want to. As I said, I knew this sort of thing as cowboys and Indians, and I had figures to play such games as a boy, and I like to think that I didn't favour one side because of listening to Run to the Hills. It wasn't like Star Wars figures, where you had goodies and baddies. I think it's quite innovative to have a song split like this, with two different views of the same story. Although, famously, the Christmas number one, just a few months before, was Don't You Want Me by The Human League. And this told the story of a waitress working in a cocktail bar, and this was split across two verses. But I think the subject of a waitress working in a cocktail bar is a bit trivial compared to the plight of the native Indians in history. And I hope that Phil Oakey of The Human League realised this when he heard Run to the Hills. I'm sure you'll all be pleased to hear that I've had a message from Dennis Stratton this week. 
Hello Wayne, Dennis Stratton here. I'm glad to say I'm feeling a bit happier this week. I'd like to thank Alan Bell for showing concern for my well-being. I'm sure lots of other fans of the podcast were concerned as well, but maybe they were too shy to say so. I've still not heard from Brenda, but I'm sure there must be a good reason. I know I've not been looking after myself, and I've let things slide a little, so I hired a cleaner. It's nice to have someone to talk to. She started last week, and I had to do an extra hour as I was following her around the house, chatting too much. I think she did a good job. She even dusted the top shelf of my video collection, so now I can see Cindy Crawford looking at me on the spines. I've told her not to go in the pantry for now. You need to gain trust with such things. You hear so many horror stories. Talking of stories, I have a copy of Adrian's fishing book. It's nice she has done this. Quite an unusual topic. I had a quick flick through, but I didn't see my name mentioned, which was quite sad. Strange, really, as I seem to be quite a main character in his children's book. Maybe I should write a book myself. Reflections of my time in the band, as well as some thoughts on life and society. I've even got a title for it, Beyond the Stratosphere. What I've done there is taken the word stratosphere and I've added my name in it. I think this is better than Adrian's title, which is too long. If only I'd turned up to that meeting about the women in uniform video, then there would be no Adrian Smith. You'd think he'd have acknowledged this in his book, but he just goes on about Sturgeon. Sorry, Wayne, I'm rambling a bit. I know you'll be talking about Run to the Hills in this episode. I like this song. It's a great single, and I was really pleased for Steve and the boys when I saw it go top ten. Their hard work paid off, and this was the start of them being really massive. I hope to speak again soon and talk more about this album. Take care, Dennis. In the last episode, I mentioned the artwork for the singles of the Number of the Beast album, and I touched on the album itself a bit. It was hard to go into detail, because the Number of the Beast single came out last, but Run to the Hills came out first. And this artwork was one of my favourite single covers as a boy. It shows Eddie and the Devil fighting on top of a rock. Like a battle, with all the flames and strange creatures in the audience, I believe it's supposed to be in hell. Some of those creatures watching or just standing by look like characters from Star Wars, particularly the thing in the bottom right of the sleeve. Looks like someone from the cantina scene in the very first film. This took place in Moss Eisley, which Obi-Wan Kenobi called a wretched hive of scum and villainy. He could have been talking about Stetford swimming baths, of course, but he wasn't. I'm not sure if Derek Riggs was a Star Wars fan or whether he was inspired by this. On the Somewhere in Time sleeve, I know that there's a a Star Trek spaceship on it um, because there's several science fiction references because of the theme of that album, uh, sort of futuristic Eddie, and there's lots of flying machines, probably links to Back to the Future. In fact, I'm going to get the artwork now from my vinyl shelf. Oh, where's she put it? Oh, Mum. Where is it? Oh, here it is. Right. <clears throat> okay, on the back of the sleeve, there's a few... Mm, oh, I'm sure the Enterprise is on it. I can't see it now. Probably should have done this before I started. There's the TARDIS. Uh, 
I'm sure the Enterprise is on it. Anyway, I can't see anything Star Wars related. So maybe Derek Riggs didn't like Star Wars. Oh yeah, the Enterprise is sort of in the distance. It's quite hard. I thought it actually said Enterprise on it, but it's sort of almost like a silhouette in the in the distance. You can see the Grim Reaper just near it. It's right in the, it's sort of just below the centre of the sleeve if you've got it in front of you. I think the song's pretty good. Um, it's a classic Iron Maiden song. I think the chorus is too perhaps repetitive and too big and catchy. I, I think it's good. It's a good sing-along, but I think it's probably overplayed. And I think that's the case live and on the radio. I heard it recently, and it felt like the backing vocals were a bit more prominent in that in that chorus, especially on the final "Run for Your Life." So I don't know if they've remastered it to bring that out a bit more. Um, I'd have to compare versions. I think as a boy, I'd have probably liked it more than a lot of the more serious songs. But now, I feel that I don't want to say I don't want to be patronising, look down on it, but I just feel. There's not as much substance to it as some other songs, and I, and I prefer that now. I'll probably compare it with how I feel now about Running Free. It's just a, a good single, but probably not in my top three on the album. Right, I'm going to give Trevor a ring now, see how he feels about it. Hiya, Wayne. Hi, Trevor. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm feeling all right. Run to the Hills, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, big single, big song. Um, I'm assuming you you think it's good. Yeah, I like it. I think you're right that, yeah, they've maybe played it too much or it's uh, seen as a bit of a staple in the live set. But it's it's an important song. If you ask anyone who perhaps doesn't like the band to name a song by Iron Maiden, they might say Run to the Hills. They might think of Bring Your Daughters to the Slaughter, I suppose. But it was a big hit. Yeah, um, true. I mean, as well as 1982, of course, they did re-release it a few times live and... Uh, it's had a bit of a renaissance. There you go. There's a nice word for you. Yeah, I suppose. But a renaissance suggests it, it sort of had lost its impact. It means rebirth, doesn't it? So I don't think the song needed a rebirth. It was always always in the sort of spotlight in, in their live sets. I don't think people forgot about it. It wasn't like when they randomly played Flight of Icarus or, or Killers on some of their tours. And that was a nice surprise, I think. People might go and expect Run to the Hills. Yeah, that is true. Um, it is looking at this, I can see it's the fifth most popular song in their set lists. Uh, so only four songs have been played more than this. Do you know what they are? Uh, oh, well, I suppose based on the shows you've done, Iron Maiden must be there, A Number of the Beast, Hallowed Be Thy Name, um, maybe Sanctuary. No, no, not quite. Uh, no, the other one is The Trooper. All oh, right. I suppose that's quite a good category for Top Trumps, if I did a game again. Yeah, maybe, but uh, I think nowadays it's more of an encore, sort of a, oh, yeah, let's play that at the end. In fact, in the last show they did, it was uh, an encore, so um, clearly it's one that the fans love at the end, so they might as well still play it. Yeah, I suppose so. I think if I was going to pick a Dream Iron Maiden set, I don't think I'd pull it in, which might be quite a shock. Yeah, it would. I just feel I feel I feel it's been heard too much. I, I think I don't know. I like to defy expectation, and we see that with my poetry, don't we? Yeah, true. But I, I don't think you can compare yourself with Iron Maiden, really. I think um, 
I think they're quite good at mixing a setup. I mean, there are the songs you expect to hear and, and they come out. But generally, I think it's a good, a good mix, and that's why there's so many live albums. Anyway, you've mentioned poetry. Um, have you got one about Run to the Hills? Yeah, I'll just read it now. Leftover cabbage and overcooked broccoli. Cauliflower cheese not heated up properly. Plenty of sprouts and aubergine grills. Now I'm off to the toilet, so run to the hills. Okay, so, so you've listed several items of food that, that are quite smelly, and you're claiming that this has caused uh, an emergency visit to the toilet? Yeah, pretty much. It was a, a, an experience at a carvery, and uh, yeah, it wasn't the best, and uh, I perhaps indulged too much in things I shouldn't have. So it's a bit of a warning, really. I'm not really sure that I feel this is a, a good poem, though. Um, I feel that some references in the past you've made to classic poetry or um, Greek or whatever, um, and then we've got this now, a poem about going to the toilet. I think it's just a bit crude and crass. And we had the same in Running Free, didn't we? You had that, that poem about a, a nose running and, and you mentioned snot in it. I didn't mention snot. That was you interpreting it as snot. What, so your nose is running... And, and I think you mentioned green fluid in it. Uh, what, 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 what else could it be? Well, I don't have to. I don't have to answer that. Well, I think it's quite frustrating for listeners when they hear your poems and you sort of don't explain them. Well, I do to a point, but there's no point. People in art, people don't explain it. No one's asking Iron Maiden to to explain their lyrics. But you can take it how you want. I'm glad you mentioned people listening and, and my poems because. I've got an announcement to make. Oh, yeah? What's that, then? Well, we all know that Adrian Smith just released his fishing book. Yeah? Well, I'm going to release a book for Christmas. It's called Trevor's Iron Maiden Poetry Book, Volume 1. Wayne? Trevor's Iron Maiden Poetry Book, Volume 1. Yeah. That's not a very creative title, is it? Well, it, it's what it is. It says what's inside the book. And volume one means there might be a volume two, so it might mean I have to stay on your podcast for a bit longer. Well, I don't think I like the pressure of that, but uh, yeah, if you, I mean, it's up to you what you do. Uh, I don't know how you're going to release it. What is it going to be in the, the shops? Well, I might do it as an ebook, and I might do it so it's on Amazon and things like that. But essentially, it's going to be the poems from the show that I've done, and um, with some academic commentary. What do you mean? Also, there's a bit of explanation. So, like you said, people don't always know what what I'm on about. And some people have speculated as as to the quality of the poems. So maybe if they understood more, they might appreciate it more. So maybe that book is aimed at them. I don't think people are going to want a copy of your poems in a book. So, so do you think people are going to buy this book? I don't know. It's a chance to have them all in one place, and plus the extra insight... Well, if you do release it, can you make sure you, you reference the podcast in it? Like maybe at the front, on the front cover, I just put "As Heard on Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast." Could you can you do that? Because I feel that you might be sort of making money out of the podcast, and, and the, it's my podcast. It, the podcast wasn't designed for your poems. Yeah, maybe. Well, I can. Yeah, I'll work on it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll do a cover. I've got some crayons. I think you need better than crayons if you're going to be marketing it. You don't want some sort of jotter that you're selling at a car boot sale. It won't be. It'll be online. Might be nice to mention it 
on the Christmas episode and all the episodes up till then because it'll probably be ready in, in a month. Well, I don't know how I feel about it, but uh, okay, thank you for that. Um, right, I think we'll leave it there, shall we? And uh, next week we've got Gangland, so uh, look forward to, to what you have to offer then. Okay, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Okay, if you want to know more, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Wayne Maiden. I've had another tweet from who I believe to be Hawklord. You may recall I've had Hawklord in Series 1. Chalkboard then appeared. I, I rumble both of them. But more recently, I've had this new character. And his actual Twitter handle is Sporkford. And, and I made that mistake because, of course, if you pronounce it Sporkford, we can hear the pattern, can't we? Now... He sent in a tweet saying that The Number of the Beast is his favourite song on The Number of the Beast album. And this, again, is a valid point. But the same person said it for The Prisoner and Children of the Damned and Invaders. Now, I don't know who this is. And I've got a list of suspects. A bit like in my Iron Maiden Cluedo game that I talked about in the last series. Because this person didn't mention 22 Acacia Avenue, this has ruled out one of my followers who it can't be, because I know that person likes 22 Acacia Avenue. And this is Andrew Whitnell from Australia. So good news for you, Andrew Whitnell of Australia. I know that you're not Sporkford, so you're off the list. Unless you're bluffing, of course. Now, I don't want to have to do this every week, where I eliminate one of my followers from the mystery of who is Sporkford, because it might take some time. There is one individual who liked one of my posts, and then Sporkford commented about a minute later. So that person is high up on the suspect list, and I'm not going to reveal who it is. But whoever you are, I'm going to get you, like Iron Maiden, no matter how far, whether you're Australia, Brazil, and I don't think it's Cristiano Matos, because he's a nice boy. I do get tweets and comments, which I mentioned during the show, but I thought it might be nice to mention some reviews that I've seen that I've had on Apple now, Apple is where you can listen to the show. Not everyone uses it, but that's where you can leave a review. And I've had several reviews in different countries. It's quite difficult to find them all because you have to change the URL to see the page of your podcast and how it looks in those countries. So, for example, in France, I've had one review. But in the UK, I've had 12 reviews. Now, some of these reviews are just where you can leave a number of stars. So, in my case, five stars, please. But some people also leave comments and feedback as well. So I'll read a couple out each show from now on, just to sort of share that, and, and I can sort of comment on those comments. Okay, first of all, I'm going to look at the UK. This one from Jockey Boy from April. And he says, has to be the best podcast about Iron Maiden. Hearing Steve Harris, Paul Diano, and Dennis, no eyes, Stratton, gives great perspectives on the early work. Love the poetry too. So that's good. That mentions several things about the podcast, including Trevor's poetry. So that's a nice review. Looking at the US, and uh, I've got one here from Eric336, and he left this in July, and he says, wasn't expecting this, ha ha. Says, definitely a fun and interesting take on Iron Maiden, ha ha. Keep it up though, it's entertaining. So again, another positive review from across the sea. So this is good that I'm having an impact over there in America. I've had seven reviews there. So thank you very much to anyone who's fed back, commented, 
left a review and a comment, or even just liked a post. It all means a lot um, because it shows that people are listening. I do get statistics and I analyse them for hours. I stay up at night looking at them. But it's people's comments that are more important. Now, I didn't mention Pamela Cartwright to Trevor. I might bring that up at a later date. As, as I said, see how he behaves moving forward. But uh, next week, we're looking at Gangland, and uh, I'll be talking about that. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to that, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>